Dear congregation, when the Lord's Supper was last held, did you have freedom to come? Do you have freedom to come next Lord's Day to the Lord's Supper? Maybe already now one says yes, and the other says no, and the other says, I don't know, and how can I know, or how can I have this freedom? Freedom to come. The basic answer is that freedom is a gift of God. It isn't simply about us feeling free to do something. We can feel free to do something which could be very wrong. Or we could not feel free to do something which is indeed right and good for us to do. It's not in the first place what we feel. Also with the Lord's Supper, there can be hesitations or there can be a confidence, yes, I am to be there. But it's not in the first place what we feel and what we think. But what does God say? And what does God give? Does he give that freedom? Us freedom. He gives freedom to come to the Lord's Supper in the way of showing and convincing by his Spirit that he gives freedom to come to him so that we may draw near to him. Because at the heart of all spiritual life is drawing near to God. It's not just about coming or not coming or doing or not doing, but it's about God, isn't it? And drawing near to God. And then the Lord's Supper is his means to draw to him again and more to him again. And therefore, whether the Lord's Supper is open or not, one thing is clear, that we have freedom. You are welcome to come to him. And that's the most important thing. It's what we find in our text, verses 19 through 22 of Hebrews 10, where it says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is about freedom to come. It's our theme. Two points. First, this is a grounded reality. And second, this is a gracious motivation. Freedom to come is a grounded reality and a gracious motivation. The first word in our text, verse 19, is having. He's writing to those he believes has, have something already. He doesn't say, may you have. May you receive. It isn't a prayer. Oh God, give them this. It isn't a possibility. Perhaps you have. 
No, he says, having something already. Having what? Having boldness to enter. When we think of boldness, we think of bravery. We think of confidence, don't we? A bold person is courageous. He he has the courage to do things that others don't dare to do. He has a confidence that propels him forward to, to do it. And here it speaks of a boldness to enter. Now that takes courage at times, doesn't it? To enter certain places. It can be for a child who's going to school for the first time and you see that school and you have to go into that school. You have to be brave as a four or a five-year-old to go in. And some cling to their mothers and they say, no, they don't want to go. Think of something different. Think of the White House. You see the White House there. When as young people you go on your trip and you you see it. And what is there? There's guards, there's gates, there's all these things. Who has the freedom to come to that place and say, let me in, I'm going to go in. Not everyone has that freedom, do they? And that confidence that they'll be allowed in. But the text isn't just about a school or a White House where the president lives, but it's about the holiest having freedom to enter into the holiest. The most holy place. In the Old Testament, there was a tabernacle or the temple, and then in that temple, there was the Holy of Holies, and that was the throne room of God, where God had his ark, where he dwelt in the midst of all that glory. But that throne room of God, the holiest, was only a shadow of the actual holiest of God, the holy place of God, and that is the place of glory. That is heaven where he dwells. Who has freedom to enter into that most holy place? Who says, I need not fear, I may freely go into the very presence of God, into the very throne room of God, come before his throne. If that's an ordinary thing to you, an ordinary place for you, then you have no idea what that place really is and you are still blind to it because this is the most awe-inspiring place that a person can ever approach. This is the place of Isaiah 57, thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And 1 Timothy 6 proclaims about him, he is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. He is the light of glory, so brilliant, so dazzling, a billion times brighter than the sun. He is the one who is so full of glory 
And now it speaks of entering into the holiest. That and yet, that is where we are to be. True worship is not just coming into church with other people and looking around and seeing a nice building. True worship is coming unto the holiest, unto the throne of God. That's where we're to be. Worship isn't just about going through the motions of singing and praying and hearing. It isn't even just about going through the motions of coming to a table and receiving some bread and receiving some wine. It's about coming into the holiest. By nature, we're content just with some duties. If we don't have a new heart, we think that life is just about doing this and not doing that and about doing Christian things. A true spiritual life is about coming before the God of glory. What an awe-inspiring reality that is. And we must come before him. We must be right with him. We must be restored unto fellowship with this God who is so full of glory. If we stay away from him, then on that final day, We will be summoned before his presence. We will be summoned before his throne, there to give an account and have nothing to say. Oh, we must come into his presence at peace already now in this life and worship and adore him. How shall we? Who has boldness to enter the holiest, into God's courts and stand before him. Who has boldness to heed the exhortation that sounds at the Lord's Supper? Let us lift our hearts on high to the most holy place. When you think of that holy place and you look at yourself, as your conscience begin to speak, You don't fit there. You are not like God. You are not pure. You are not holy. You are not clean. All that you've been and done has not been to the glory of this God who's worthy of all glory. You do not fit with those sinless angels who cover themselves and cry, Holy, holy, holy. You don't fit. Lord, if thou shouldst mark iniquities, who could stand before thee? Conscience can echo that message of the Lord, its word. They can't tolerate sin. He must punish sin. How can we come into the holiest and not be condemned and not be banished because we don't fit there? And as long as conscience accuses us, our heart doesn't have that boldness and freedom to enter the holiest. There's hesitation. And then the thought can come, if only I were different. If only I were different, then I would have freedom to come 
into the holiest. If only I hadn't sinned the way my conscience reminds me I've sinned. If only I had a heart full of love, full of devotion, full of joy in him, full of delight in him, and, and, and free from sin, then I could approach, then I could come before him and know his favor. But if we think these things, if only I were different, then I would have freedom to come because then I would fit there. If we think that's the way to come before him, we'll never have the freedom to come to him because we will never be without sin here below. It'll never work. You can be busy all your life long trying to be good enough to come before him and your best will never be good enough. At the end, you will still be a sinner who deserves death to be banished. What reason there is for us to come to realize there's no way I can fit myself to be in the holy place of God. And there's no way I can clean myself up enough to have fellowship with that God on my own. That way is blocked. What is the basis of boldness? Where is the freedom to approach unto him? Having therefore brethren boldness. Therefore, he says, and that points us back to all that's been proclaimed earlier in this chapter and earlier in this book. And this whole epistle to the Hebrews is one grand testimony of who? Of Jesus Christ. And who he is as the one greater than all else, as the one who is that great mediator, that one who has offered up that perfect sacrifice, as the beginning of this chapter makes so clear, he is the one who said, I come to do thy will, O God. And that's all summarized in this phrase, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. It's that blood that gives freedom. It's that blood that opens up that way and silences the conscience that keeps from freely coming. It's the blood of Jesus, it says here. Is that not what this whole epistle is about? That priest who is greater than all those Old Testament priests, that priest, the Lord Jesus, who shed his blood as a sacrifice for sin, as a fulfillment of those Old Testament sacrifices. His blood represents his whole being, his whole life, and he offered himself as that sacrifice to open up that way of access unto God. It's called here a new, a new and living way in verse 20 that he has opened up. And that word for new is literally freshly slaughtered way. What a precious way it involved the Lord Jesus Christ being slaughtered, being slain. It involved his flesh being torn apart. He has opened up that way, it says, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Our flesh. 
corrupt. Have you not found that? It's cursed. By nature, we're sinful, carnal flesh. And if we approach unto God as flesh, he must slay us. It's our flesh, our sinfulness, that separates us from God. But the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he was pure and sinless and without stain in any way. His flesh was holy. His human nature was holy and pure. And so there was every reason for him to have that freedom to come into the very holiest because he fit in that holy place. He always glorified God with his human body and soul. He could freely approach God without fear. And yet, when in his holy human nature he came before God, God unsheathed his sword and slew him. Because Romans 3, 8 verse 3 says that God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And as Christ's flesh was torn and as his blood was shed as a sacrifice for sin, a new and living way of access to God was opened up. That was pictured in the temple when after Christ's flesh was rent upon the cross, as God's justice was executed on that substitute, that Lamb of God, and when God's justice was satisfied in the flesh of Jesus Christ, that veil of the temple which was hanging there was rent in twain and it opened up to show that through his flesh there is that new and living way of access unto God. What a way. He has opened up by being slain as a substitute in the place of those who are but sinful flesh of themselves, who deserve as they approach unto God only that sword of justice to slay them and their blood to be shed. His blood was shed. And now there's that new and living way, that fresh way, that way whereby sinners who come before God confessing, O Lord, I deserve thy sword of justice to slay me, may find access into his presence and not be slain but be received in mercy because God says my justice has already been satisfied. Here's the blood that's already been shed so that your blood does not need to be shed. This way is opened And this way, it says here, is consecrated for us. Consecrated means it's been dedicated for use. Use by who? You say the us here are the brethren, our believers, are God's children. And that's true. 
all God's children have this freedom to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the one feels it more and the other feels it less, but all God's children have that freedom to enter into the holiest because who is there? Their father. That's their home. And if you're a child and you're in a good relation with your parents, you know that you are always welcome home. All God's children here, you have that freedom. He has given you that freedom through the blood of Christ to enter into his holy home. Freedom, this, this boldness, this word boldness has that sense of, of freedom. And it's the freedom that God gives through his word, through his gospel. He says you may come anytime on this way, my way. The problem, people of God, is that too often we seek to come to God our own ways. And then it doesn't work. And there's still that distance. We think to bring something else along. But he says, my way is this way of the blood. Many people can tell you that road is closed. And your conscience can say that's not a way for you. And the devil can put up all kinds of signs that says, say no entrance. But all the devil's signs are lies. God doesn't say it. He says, I give you the freedom to come to me through the blood of my son. Can the devil close that way? He can't. Can even unbelief close that way? It can keep you from that way, but it can't close the way. That way has been dedicated. That way has been consecrated. That way is established and open. What then do you need to have in yourself for freedom to come to God? All you need to be is a sinner. A sinner that whose sin deserves death. That way is opened, not for people who are good, but it's opened for those who deserve to die because it's the way paved by the blood of the one who died in the place of those who deserve to die. What do you need to be as a child of God to come back again, even having, having, after having wandered away However, the however manyth time, no different way than the way you first came. That's as a sinner, because it's oh, the way is the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, then, child of God, God has given you that freedom to come in the blood of Christ. And when you feel most unfit, that way is most suited for you because it's the way of the blood. 
And the Holy Spirit sends you this gospel this morning as the gospel that he uses to overcome all that proud self-righteousness that creeps up again and all that unbelieving hesitation that can creep up again in your heart to convince your heart that truer than what you feel and what you fear is the word of God which says he has consecrated this way, he has opened this way, and he has given this freedom to make use of this way of access unto him. Is it not so blessed that the Spirit gives us this gospel and uses that gospel in order to bring back to God again? But does God only proclaim this way to his people? We're saved. It's true that when it speaks here of brethren, It makes us think, for example, of chapter 3, where it speaks of holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling in a saving sense. But this term is also used in the book of Hebrews, for example, in chapter 3, where it says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. And so it speaks of how also there can be those who are within the congregation and still have that evil heart of unbelief, and yet they're addressed by the gospel. Do those with an evil heart of unbelief this morning have freedom to come into the holiest by the blood of Jesus? With an evil heart of unbelief, and that's what unbelief is, isn't it? Haven't you found it? That unbelief is an evil thing. It's a dreadful thing. It's a God-dishonoring thing. That with an evil heart of unbelief, you have no confidence and you have no sense of freeness to come into the holiness. can even be that you don't have desire to come into God's holy presence because it's so pure and it would expose what you are and you don't want that and you don't have a heart that's even crying out for the living God. It's fixed on other things, just like so many in Israel who were set as a warning here in the book of Hebrews who lusted after other things rather than to come into the presence of God. And in such a state, the table is not for you. But this way is for you. This way of access unto God is open for sinners who deserve to die exactly because of their evil heart of unbelief. All the wrong in anyone here this morning only confirms that you are corrupt flesh that you're a sinner who deserves death. And for such type of people, this way has been consecrated. It's for sinners worthy of death, just as they are, who may not even see it as they ought, who do not even, are not even burdened it, of, about it as they ought. He shed his blood for those who deserve to die so that they may have access into the, into the mercy, into the grace, into the blessing, into the favor of God. That's why no matter what you've done, you are welcome on this way, exactly because there is no other way. This is the living way what it's called here, the new and living way. And every other way is a way of death. 
trying to delay seeking this God on this way is to remain in death. You may be in hell before you realize it. Thinking this way is for others and not for you, and so continuing on in your own way is the way of pious rebellion and death. No matter what you do, if you're not on this way, you're on a way of death. This is the way of life. And this is a way that's preached to you with that call to come on this way, confessing your sin, confessing your guilt, and pleading that blood. It's the way of access to God. God gives you that permission, that freedom to come to him through his blood. In the gospel, he opens that door and he invites young and old to him through his way on his terms, the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to call that comes from that, that reality. Let us draw near. That's our second of two points. Freedom to come is also a gracious motivation. Over this way is written a new and living way for sinners. Then whoever we are, whether for the first time or whether the thousandth time, that call comes, let us draw near. What good will it be for us to say that way to be cleansed and appear before God in peace is there? And we just say that, yes, that is the gospel. And we go on our own ways. Do not make use of that way. What good will it be for us to think that because we hear that gospel and because we are invited on that way, and we even say we like to hear that gospel and we like to hear that free offer, and yet we remain in our hearts, not on that way. What good will it do if we can think back of times in the past when the Lord has used that very gospel in order to draw us unto him and yet in the present we're wandering far from him? Let us draw near, it says. How? It says with a true heart. True has a sense of being real and genuine. It's used for genuine metals of gold or silver rather than fools or imitation golds. Came to have the sense of being sincere, having a truthful heart. In other words, come with your heart. Don't simply draw near to your, with your lips while your heart is far from God. So God forbid that you simply come with your feet to the table of the Lord while your heart is far from God. No, he says, let us draw near with a true heart. That's what he calls for. You're my heart. All else we do is vain and worthless if it's not a matter of the heart. It's the only way to go to God. We can't go to God physically. God is a spirit. 
And God is in heaven, but it's a drawing near with your heart. I thirst for thee, for thee my heart is yearning. Let us draw near with a true heart, away with all those pretenses, away with just putting up a show, away with just looking nice in front of others and going through the motions. Let us draw near with a true heart, a heart that is made honest before God, a heart that comes before God and confesses amen. What he says about me is true. You're done with excuses, and you're done with hiding your sin, and you're done with pretending you're better than you are, that you come before God as you are in your sin, with your sin, and you become honest about it with a true heart. That's the only way to draw near. And yet drawing near, isn't that such a riddle? Having become honest about what you are, yet drawing near to the God who's so opposite of what you are. That's because it says with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So that means then you have to have full assurance of faith in order to draw near to God, in order to flee to him. My friend, if God doesn't assure, you will never come. God doesn't assure, you will never come. But it's exactly here that we get confused. Because what does he assure of in the first place? He doesn't assure in the first place that you are, uh, you know for 100% sure that you are a believer. And you know for 100% sure that you're a child of God. The assurance of our text is not focused on that. What is the full assurance of faith that it's spoken of here? It's not that you're 100% sure that about yourself, but it's that you're sure about something that you can only know by faith, that you're sure that he is indeed the Savior, that he is indeed the mediator, that Jesus' blood indeed is sufficient, and that he has indeed opened up that way of access unto God. This full assurance of faith is in the place fully assured of who Christ is and who that what that way of salvation is that it is sufficient even for a sinner like me that God has accepted and that God is pleased with the blood of Jesus Christ full assurance is sure that what God has said about himself and about his Christ is sure, is so sure of that that you dare to draw near on that way of access, that way of the blood of Christ, because God is convincing you that that blood is sufficient even for a sinner like you. And that's why you can't stay away. And that's why you flee to him. And isn't that a tremendous relief of someone who is so discouraged as you are digging about in your heart whether you have that assurance that you are a believer? It's in the first place this, a true heart. That you've become honest before God. And you no longer want to hide anything. And that you're sure What God has said is true about his Christ. 
And that so you come to rest your all upon him and him alone. Oh, to take him at his word, that that way is open, and so to come trusting nothing but his blood. And so I see such a one whom God has made honest before him, such a one that God is convinced of the sufficiency of the blood of Christ to reconcile even a sinner like him. And I see such a one who can't stay away from God. And so he comes, and what do I see? Yes, maybe with fears, yes, maybe with hesitations, but as God draws on that new and living way, what happens? It speaks of having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. On that way, you receive sprinkling, you receive cleansing from your conscience that accuses you. Because the blood speaks better things than the blood of Abel. This blood of Christ has a voice that's louder than all the voice of conscience. This voice has, this Christ in his blood has a voice that addresses every accusation of conscience. And on this new and living way of his blood, it's that blood that silences all those accusations because the blood declares that He has satisfied the justice of God. He has fulfilled the demands of the law. And so the law cannot condemn anymore. And conscience cannot accuse anymore because of the power of the blood of Christ. His blood answers all those questions and all those accusations. Oh, how precious to draw near with a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. This is what God lives to do and the grace he lives to give to sprinkle that blood, to apply that blood to your heart, to your conscience, to give that peace, that peace with God. And to know the favor of this God in all his glory. How precious to draw near and to have your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and so to be before him in peace. But that's not the only thing he gives. God also gives that second benefit. Let us draw near having our bodies washed with pure water. Drawing near in this way, you find God true to his word, that he cleanses from sin. The picture here is of the priest, isn't he? The priest would come into the court of the the temple, and there he would receive that water from the basin in order to to be washed, showing that as, as a symbol of God cleansing from the power of a defilement of sin in order to serve him. In holiness. How shall we dwell with God, cleansed by the blood of Christ, all that guilt washed away, but also renewed by the Spirit for the sake of that blood to love Him and desire Him and desire to consecrate your flesh, your body, your being as a living sacrifice unto God? And that's what He does as he draws you on this new and living way opened by the blood of Christ, he doesn't leave you the same. Who here says that? It's that new and living way. It's that blood of Christ. 
and it's him who has been washing so that what I used to desire I don't desire anymore. What I used to think was boring is now so delightful. The word of God and holiness and his law is no longer a burden. My sin's a burden, but his law's a delight. Why is that? It's because the Christ who sprinkles his, his blood to cleanse from an evil conscience is also the one who washes with pure water and makes clean. And water so often is a reference to the Spirit and his work of renewing and livening and working this spiritual life. And that's the blessed paradox in this call. This way is open for the chief of sinners as you are, with shame for what you've been and what you can't undo, confessing your carnal soul under sin. That way is open through the torn flesh of the only sacrifice for sin, Jesus Christ. And on that way, he cleanses from an evil conscience with his pardoning grace, and he washes filthy lives to make them priests unto God and worshipers in spirit and truth and come and know the favor of God. Notice how it's passive here. Hearts sprinkled, bodies washed, means it's washed by another, sprinkled by another. And who is it? Is it not the one? Of verse 21, having an high priest over the house of God. It's all about this high priest over the house of God. He is the one who lives. He is the one who is in the most holy place. That's why sinful people can come before God, because he's there over the house of God, over that household, representing that household. And that's why all the ones in that household may be in the presence of God and enjoy his blessing. He shows he's the high priest over the house of God, over God's family. And he is the one who... We read of in chapter 4, don't we? We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that way of access in that Christ doesn't make God less, doesn't make God less glorious and pure and holy. It only makes who God is the more amazing that this pure and glorious God is a God of grace in Jesus Christ. That's what gives freedom to come. We began this morning, congregation, asking whether you have freedom to come to the Lord's Supper. And we've spent the whole time since not talking so much about freedom to come to the Lord's Supper, but freedom to come to God. Were you disappointed? That there wasn't more about the Lord's Supper. And that it was so focused upon coming to God. 
Or is that the very reason you desire the Lord's Supper, that it may be the means through which he draws you near to him? By showing you again that new and living way and sprinkling again your conscience and washing you again with that pure water. Is that what it's about to you? Because that's what the Lord's Supper is about. It's about him. It's about drawing nigh to him. It's about coming into his presence through that new and living way which Christ has opened by his blood. Is that your deepest desire? Him, through the blood of Christ. Having therefore, brethren, Boldness to enter in by the blood of Jesus. Let us draw near. Amen. O Lord God, we pray unto thee, and we give thee thanks that thou dost give us thy word, And that in thy word thou dost reveal that way that thou thyself hast opened up of access unto thee through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that thou hast consecrated that way for use. But also that thou dost live, O Lord Jesus, as that glorious high priest who ever lives in order to sprinkle, in order to cleanse, in order to draw sinners near to thee, and that thou art the living Savior who lives today to do such things in fulfillment of thy own word. Lord, we give thee thanks for what thou hast done in drawing also among us the sinners unto thee. And we pray, O Lord, to continue that work, draw evermore unto thee. Draw also in this week into thy presence in a way that exposes in the light of thy glory what we are, that shuts us up to that that new way of the blood of Christ and also causes us to know thy favor. Lord, also draw thy household to thy family table in order to enjoy thy favor through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and to strengthen that faith and that assurance of Christ. And Lord, we pray that those who still have heard of that way many times and yet are on their own way, let them not live on longer on the ways of death and the ways of sin, whether it be in self-righteousness or unrighteousness. Lord, draw them near to thee through that way that is opened. Through Jesus Christ, come, O Holy Spirit, we pray, and use thy very gospel that thou hast inspired in order to do so for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we all would be of that household of under Christ, and so know thy home, thy throne, as a place under which we may dwell. 
Bless us further in this day. And gather the congregation also in this evening. And bless student Skipper as he ministers thy word. We pray to bless also their pastor. We thank thee for him. And we pray to bring him home once again and make him a blessing. Receive our thanks, O Lord, and hear our prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Amen.